Well, here we go. Good afternoon to you. On your way to making each and every day count, each day is a gift. As we were waiting for Idalia, uh, unlike, well, like all big storms, but this one was supposed to be the biggest of the biggest, hitting an area that didn't recall ever being hit before. Don't know why that would be, and I'm sure they study those sorts of things. But the hurricane... Edalia made landfall in Florida's Big Bend region this morning. And it came in as predicted as a Category 3 storm, bringing winds up to 125 miles per hour to the Gulf Coast, making it the strongest storm to hit the region in 125 years. They always amaze me with being able to go out that far, but so be it. My goodness, that was before there was even the Weather Channel. But be that as it may... Why has a storm never come to the Big Bend area, A? B, how did that storm get up to a 3 so quickly when it actually hit a 4 at one point, which nobody was expecting? It went from a 1 to a 3 to a 4 back to a 3, and now it is a 1. It has weakened to a Category 1 as it moves across Florida. I am not suggesting any of us would want a Category 1 hurricane going through our backyard, but I'm saying it's better than it was and better than maybe even expected, although you're looking at a quarter million people, at least without power. Now, it weakened to that Category 2 storm roughly an hour and a half after making landfall. It built up of the hot waters that it traversed there around Florida. And uh, that helped it pick up strength. The hotter the water, the the more the strength there over the Gulf of Mexico. And now they say the flooding is expected to get much worse through the day and even is going to be threatening parts of Georgia and South Carolina. That's the very latest that we have from a source called Topic Pulse. We will get some other sources at our fingertips and pass them along to you. And I know the governor, who is getting rave reviews for handling this well, is going to have yet another update. So, I mean, that's smart. That's what people need and want. They want updates so they know what's going on. That's all we could ask for from our governors. Now, there's a whole bunch of news out there, including news with our governor, and we'll find out about some of that. You saw that, uh, well, if you didn't see this, the governor says it's time for guaranteed paid family medical leave in Michigan. So we'll... We'll hear more, obviously, about that as uh, time goes by. At the University of Michigan, they're just trying to get over a pretty major hack that they had that has uh, has caused them a tremendous amount of trouble. But the latest word in uh, from Ann Arbor, University of Michigan reconnects to Internet Wi-Fi as online systems are gradually restored yep they were they were cyber hacked and unfortunately this is just the beginning of many of those kinds of stories actually it's not even the beginning we already know it's happened a lot of places and uh, it is an issue that we are all going to have to deal with until our nerds get to be smarter than the nerds who are attacking us or the countries that are attacking us so be that as it may there's a lot going on and a lot to talk about i i will say oh i got note a note here not too long ago that because our friend dave rieger is off helping his brother with some taking care of some business guess who's producing today i was told it was going to be brian morton and danielle mason handling all the duties running the board answering the phone doing the producing. That's just the way 
That's just the way radio is these days, and all businesses are these days. We're all doing more jobs than we ever did before, and quite likely for less money than we ever did before, but that's that's just the way things are right now. But guess what? Brian and Danielle, your heavy lifting got a little lighter because Ann Thomas sent me a note saying she'll be uh, sitting in and producing while Dave is out today. Good afternoon, Paul. Oh, <laughs> don't make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the program director now producing us again, just almost like the old days. So how's that new job going for you? It's great, Paul. I love it. All you appeared. Well. You appear to be doing a spectacular job. And I've said that to you for a long time with your other jobs, which very much included doing a lot of program director-type duties in the past over many, many years. And yesterday we had a whole station meeting that our fearless leader, Steve Finitary, uh called for and did. And uh, and you took over a good portion of that meeting, and it all looked good. It yes. all looked good. It's great you know, fun. It's, it's things that you have talked about, you and I have talked about, but you've talked about for years. And what a thrill it must be to put them into place. It is. That's the best part of the job. You're absolutely right. And you being maybe the longest serving member of the WJR current team, you remember some of the things that made this radio station great that you'd like to go back to. Plus, you have an eye on the future and understanding how things have changed greatly, but we're going to change with those things greatly in the WJR style that our huge listening audience, the best and brightest in all of radio, understand and not only accept, but support. Yes, so that's, that's well good. said. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I have a great mentor in Mike Wheeler. You have a great mentor in Mike Wheeler. A great partner in Mike Wheeler Absolutely. and Steve Finitary. That's right. And Jeff, Jeff who has done a great job as they, you know, he keeps getting, Jeff Marsro keeps getting more and more duties, more and more radio stations. We now have uh, not just the stations here in Detroit, but now Steve Finitary and the team oversee four radio stations in beautiful Ann Arbor, Michigan. And those stations do very well. Yes, By they the do. Way, yeah, they do. Proud right of about that. Very proud of them. Speaking of this situation at U of M, I just asked Brian, "Where's Rick Snyder? Is he working on this?" But Brian says he's out of the country. So one tough nerd I mean, I is he working one, on the internet I got, issue? I got, a, I got a quick question. Why does Brian know that Rick Snyder's out of the country? I said I sent him a message yesterday. Emailed them. Oh, to, talk, to come on and talk about it. talk about it with us. What was going on and. Sorry, Mr. Snyder is in Switzerland. It's like, wow, must be nice. Well, they probably have problems they need solved. <laughs> yeah. And they sent the super nerd to do it, and <laughs> no one better than Rick Snyder. And you're right, Ann. We need his help at U of M. Yes. Because I, I'm not led to believe that that thing is solved. It's just that they have been getting some service back. Who attacked them? Do we know? Don't know. Okay. It's happening more and story. more, though. Very it's scary, happening. isn't it? It's happened to hospitals, right. it's happened to businesses, it's happened to colleges, it's happened almost anywhere and everywhere, and the bad nerds are beating the good nerds, but the good nerds are coming coming around and fixing things as quickly as they can, which is important. Ann Thomas is back with us for a walk down memory lane for the day, helping out Dave Riegeroff, helping his brother, as I mentioned, Brian Morton here, Daniel Mason, Rich Luzinski, we got a good team here. On the Focus Show with Paul W. Smith, if you can't join us noon to 2, join us on thegreatvoice.com. Get the podcast at thegreatvoice.com as we continue on WJR. Ba-da-do-bam. All righty. Uh, thanking God that uh, Edalia wasn't worse. A lot of prayers for Edalia to miss people. It didn't miss everybody, but it did miss some people, and we thank God for that. And we are fortunate that, generally speaking, we don't have to worry about some of these things that we keep seeing in the news, hurricanes, earthquakes, 
landslides, wildfires, although we get close. But we have a wonderful place to escape to that's not too far away and is always worth visiting. I'm talking about Traverse City. And we will talk to Trevor Dekach regarding that uh, coming up here at the half hour. But we do want to get an update now on Hurricane Edalia. And no one better to do that than Evan Brown, Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor. Good afternoon, Evan. Hello there. The governor has had a couple of press conferences in Florida already. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, and he's about to uh, have another. Uh, what's going on is is pretty much what we expected, a, a very powerful Category 4, as it was uh, for at least a couple of hours earlier this morning. Uh, hurricane uh, came to Florida, uh, impacting uh, the Florida Gulf Coast from the Tampa Bay area up to the Florida Big Bend, which is where the peninsula meets the panhandle. Uh, we had a landfall this morning uh, in the Big Bend. Now, a landfall means the center of the storm reaching land. Uh, what it doesn't uh, convey is how much of the storm actually hit land and how much land before that point. Uh, this is a storm that has a wingspan of 320 miles left to right or up to down. And so by the time a, the center of a storm reaches a point on land, that point has gotten half of whatever that storm, in this case, 160 miles worth. And now they're getting the other 160 miles of the storm, of the wind and the storm surge and the rain, uh, all of which is plentiful in Hurricane Nadalia. Uh It also doesn't reflect the fact that there are parts of the Florida coast that are way more populated than the Big Bend that have been getting really the brunt of everything of the storm and won't get an actual landfall because of the direction of the storm. The eye of the storm doesn't come ashore there. And I'm talking specifically about Tampa Bay and its suburbs to the north that are all densely populated and filled with people who recently moved to Florida in the past few years, many from Michigan. Uh, and, uh, and, and so those people have been enduring all 320 miles worth of, uh, of this storm, and they don't get a landfall, and nonetheless they've still been uh, impacted pretty harshly. There is four to six feet of storm surge in some of those coastal areas uh, near uh, near Tampa Bay and in the Tampa Bay cities like Tampa, St. Petersburg, and Clearwater. There is power outages. Uh, there or are power outages. There uh, there are blocked roadways. There are homes that are damaged and and probably destroyed or certainly not going to be immediately livable for the foreseeable future. And all of this uh, means people will be in financial ruin and, and cities and counties uh, will have uh, a financial impact as they try to fix all of this. Yeah. I, and I mentioned this before. Um, how many insurance companies are going to be uh, grotesquely affected by the Maui fires and yeah. now by Idalia with now 340,000 people without power? Some reports of uh, 16-foot storm surges yeah. in their flooding. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Yeah, that's, and, that's up in the Big Bend where uh, now it's sparsely populated there, but there's, it's populated. And so uh, it's, it's, much of that Big Bend area is, I want to say, like 10 feet above sea level. So if you have a 16-foot surge, you get six feet of water. Well, that's going to come in your window. Yeah. That's going to knock down uh, uh, doors and uh, knock oh, yeah. out windows and and do yeah. just a lot of uh, damage. I'm looking Carry at off Cedar the prefab Key. homes and yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cedar Key, um, uh, Florida. Um, it looks very bad. I'm looking at uh, Tallahassee, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, oh, yeah. uh, Georgia's in this thing. But what was uh, shocking last night, trying to follow some of this. I had never heard. I heard as high as Category 3. No one ever mentioned a 4 until Idalia hit a Category 4 at one point. Well, we had predicted, a not we, but the National Hurricane Center had said Category 3. You have to remember that the difference between a Category 3 and a Category 4 is one mile per hour of wind speed. So at 29 miles per hour, your Category 3 and really, when you're 29.1, or you know, to round it off to 130, you're at Category Four. 
so at one point it made it to 130 and and it backed down a couple hours later to 125 i i defy you to stand outside and tell me the difference <laughs> in speed. um but it's not going to happen Exactly. And at the same time, the categories don't really reflect things like storm surge and rain. So even though it weakened a few mile per hours of wind speed right at the last moment before reaching land, it still had all of that water in terms of storm surge uh, lashing the coast. Uh, you know, that that doesn't dissipate that quickly. So, you know, imagine people may not fully understand why there is such a thing as storm surge. Think about the baby in the bathtub, okay? If there's no baby in the bathtub, the water is still. If you put the baby in the bathtub and he's splashing around, that water starts making waves back and forth throughout the bathtub. So it's the same idea because the water is in a very large bathtub called maybe the ocean or the Gulf of Mexico, but that water has to go somewhere when it's pushed out of the way by the storm, and then it has to lash back the other way only to be re-impacted by the storm. Uh, And then on top of that, you have the normal tides. And in, in our case, we're having a king tide, which is a normal, a, a normal thing, but it's a higher than normal tide. So it, it kind of compounds this. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, the storm surge is really the, the dangerous part, followed by the, uh, the rain floods, which can be problematic for days because after all that water falls, it has to go somewhere and it goes into streams and creeks and lakes and they all swell. And all of a sudden, someplace that wasn't flooded during the storm is now flooded out and people are running. How did you get so good at this? I've lived here 20, 20 years, and I've been through many. Uh, I had my, home, my own home damaged in Hurricane Irma some years ago. Uh, and uh, I've, uh, I've also done the thing where I've been outside reporting live from inside the storm and saw what looked like a small tree trunk or a large tree branch coming my way, and I hit the deck in a foot and a half of water. And in six weeks' time, I ruined two cell phones, and I no longer qualify for cell phone insurance from the carrier anymore. That's <laughs> And that was 20 years ago. They still have a grudge I, on it. I, uh, I hope that you've also outlived the necessity to be one of those poor young people out there uh, showing how windy it is. Well, when I do when I do go out into a storm storm zone for coverage, I purposefully stay in a in a in a spot that's in dry land uh, that I can then access the damaged areas after the storm because. Um, uh, on, on this lovely medium uh, of theater of the mind that we call radio that is still widely used, despite what everyone else wants to tell you, uh, especially in a storm, by the way, um, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't need to be in front of the, the, the bending tree uh, uh, doing a report. I, I, I have to tell people the information, and I have to be alive the next day to do it again. So uh, by going somewhere dry and preferably with a generator, <laughs> uh, I can uh, be all right. And then the next day when the storm has passed, I can get in my car and I can drive around and I can find all the real damage and the real stories and the real people and start talking to them. And we are lucky, that. Evan Brown, to have you on so many Thank topics. You. But this one that you're living and have for a number of years, you're especially uh, astute and helped us. You walked us through a lot of information more than the average person can get in a small report. You did it, and I appreciate that. You be careful. I will. You take care. Evan Brown, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor, clearly uh, with a story near and dear to his heart. He lives it and has for some 20 years there in Florida. And he gave a shout-out to radio, and you bet lots of people are still using AM radio, which is why we thank Ford Motor Company for uh, deciding to keep those AM radios for a while. And thanks to Dale Buss, founder and executive director of the Flyover Coalition, a journalist, author, and a former Pulitzer-nominated reporter for the Wall Street Journal, just wrote a nice piece, an opinion piece, in the Detroit News. Look for it. Dale Buss, the Detroit News. Uh, An opinion piece which was very kind to us and our conversation with uh, Ford Motor Company's president and CEO Jim Farley on the very issue of keeping AM radios in cars and keeping AM radio alive, which we greatly appreciate, and I hope you do too, as we continue in focus. And we'll keep uh, track of what's happening. I see that uh, Governor DeSantis is uh, speaking uh, to uh, the world right now, but mostly uh, aimed at folks that are living there in Florida And uh, whatever he uh, has to say, we will uh, pass along the most significant parts of it throughout this afternoon in our conversation. Uh, He's saying that the Tampa airport is going to reopen 
at 4 o'clock this afternoon as he gives an update on uh, the state's uh, Edalia response, which we've been hearing has been quite good, which is obviously what you would expect from your governor, but you don't always get it. Hence, uh, for example, Hawaii. Just uh, one quick example. You know, it occurred to me that there was a time when it was decided that all schools would start after Labor Day. Doesn't anybody else remember that? I'm sure our next guest, the president of Traverse City Tourism, all-around good guy, Trevor Tkach, remembers it very well. Trevor, good afternoon. It's Paul W. Welcome to Focus. Hey, Paul W. Good to hear your voice. What happened? What I. Did they pull a fast one on me and I was asleep at the wheel when they took that away? It seemed to make a lot of sense at the time when they said, okay, let's have all the schools start after Labor Day, and that would help tourism and uh, and, and business in general. Yeah, you, you're 100% correct. When those decisions were made uh, many years ago, in fact, it was under Governor Granholm uh, and was supported with uh, bipartisan, uh, you know, consent on on the idea that it wasn't just about the economy you know it's about giving families a chance to enjoy summertime as well you know we've got only so many uh sunny beautiful summer days um so to be able to take advantage of that as a family is important also you know you're looking at what sort of uh, amenities the schools have and frankly there aren't a whole lot of schools with air conditioners out there so we're already seeing a lot of schools that did start prior to labor day we're already taking days off because of the uh, unreasonably high temperatures that are hitting the schools downstate. Right, and and I, I see that there have been all kinds of studies. The Anderson Economic Group got involved. All these different things. Um, it, it, I I trust the Anderson Economic Group. I understand that the the teachers unions might have a different uh, feeling, but the, the Anderson Economic Group study published back in 2016 found that the late start mandate added 40,000 room nights and increased visitor spending by about $20 million in 2007, which was the second full year of the law's implementation. Yeah, it had a profound impact immediately. And the reality is, you know, as somebody who grew up in Michigan in the Traverse City area, you know, school didn't traditionally start for us until after Labor Day. In fact, it still doesn't start until after Labor Day because northern Michigan school districts, for the most part, understand how important uh, that is to our economy. We've got a lot of uh, kids, and I did this growing up, worked in hospitality. That's how I made money to go to college, and I had to get every little dollar I could get out of summertime. So to be able to start uh, school after Labor Day gave me an opportunity, and it still gives my kids an opportunity to work uh, right up until, you know, uh, Labor Day hits, make all that good money. Uh, to be able to get ready for my future. But then again, it gives the families, smaller, younger families, an opportunity to enjoy northern Michigan and all of Michigan because those 40,000 room nights just weren't in Traverse City. They were spread all over the state. Sure, sure. And, and you know, you can't stress enough the idea that this really was the perfect time for families to finally get away uh, that last opportunity to get away with a quote-unquote summer vacation with the entire family, and that's been taken away. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's kind of a – it's disappointing because I think the family unit is often put on the back burner for other objectives, and this might be one of those cases. I think a lot of schools downstate and a lot of schools all across the country have decided to, you know, change their approach to their, their calendar year, to try to be more reflective of, of sports schedules. And I got kids who play sports, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not counter to the thinking. But the reality is only a few kids out of the entire populace of a, of a K-12 through school are actually going to play football or soccer or march in the marching band. So to have to get everybody else back on that earlier schedule because a few of the students are doing that, and a lot of times they say it's because you're trying to line up with the college, community college classes that high schoolers can take advantage of. There's no reason you can't do all of these things. You could still, I believe, you could still start school later and still allow students an opportunity to do the extracurriculars and do the college classes. You could have it all. Uh, we've just chosen a different path here in Michigan. Sure. And Traverse City Schools, as you point out, the area schools don't start until after Labor Day because they fully understand 
how important those pure Michigan dollars are uh, to the lifeblood of Traverse City and every other community up there that depends very much on on tourism. I don't know how this changed. Um, I think it, it changed. It, it, the law didn't change, but the people were able to get, oh, I don't know what it was called. They were able to get. Uh, they got waivers. Waivers. That's the word yeah. I was trying to yeah. think of. They get waivers, and, and like 75% of the schools are now operating off those waivers. They do, right. And it has to do, again, as I said, to the um, lining up with the, normally with the college, uh, the community college in, in the region that they're trying to give students an opportunity to take advantage of. Again, I'd say you could do both. You could give kids an opportunity, those uh, 11th to 12th graders, an opportunity to go to college classes, but you don't have to abandon the idea of keeping, uh, you know, Labor Day sacrosanct in a way and giving families an opportunity to take advantage of summer. And you could even do other programs. You could do year-round programming for students who need that. That's not, you know, I'm not opposed to any of that thinking, but in general, I think you could have it all, and we've chosen not to go that direction. I, I think um, certainly the community colleges should follow the same schedule. Uh, I would say I know University of Michigan and Michigan State are back in school already. They could have handled uh, the delay as well. Um, I don't know. I, it seems to me that the greater good for things that are important to uh, the great state of Michigan and our businesses that are have struggled the last several years, uh, could really use this. And I don't see where the harm is for the students. If this were harming students, I'd say, well, you know, too bad. We can't choose commerce over education, blah, blah, blah. It, this, I, I don't see how this can hurt kids at all. No, It just I, I maybe think... makes some people work days longer <laughs> than they want to. Let's be yeah, honest. Very true. And I tell you, some of the best life lessons I ever learned was in a kitchen when I was 14 or 15 years old and seeing what the real world was all about and what it felt like to earn a dollar. So those experiences are important to kids, too. I went through the same thing, working several jobs to end up actually debt free when I graduated University of Michigan. I'm pretty proud of that, Trevor. Hey. We'll be up there. We love Traverse City, and the tourism is still going strong. The door is still open. Trevor Tkach, president, Traverse City Tourism. Uh, there's a lot going on there. There's plenty of the tourism season left. In fact, Traverse City knows no season because Traverse City is beautiful every season. God bless you, Trevor. Keep up the good work. Thank you. We continue in focus, WJR. Ba-da-da-boom. Alrighty, uh, gee whiz, a long press conference with uh, Governor DeSantis, realizing this is a, an important test for his abilities and skills. And you bet uh, he's uh, apparently doing a very good job. Everybody is saying he's doing a nice job there uh, in uh, Florida. Patrick DeHaan is here, head of petroleum uh, analysis at Gas Buddy. And you had to know that our gas prices would be affected by, well, the Hurricane Idalia, uh, the Labor Day situation, our holiday, and uh, I guess the, the flooding goes into the Hurricane Idalia. Let's get the, the very latest on uh, the gas prices and, and what's happening there. With you, Patrick DeHaan. Nice to uh, touch base. It's Paul W. Always great to be with you, Paul. Can you tell me, uh, have, have you had reports yet of any of the refineries being flooded and therefore not being able to do their job? Well, I suppose it's good news. Uh, Dahlia stayed uh, pretty far away from some of those large refineries in Louisiana and Texas. So uh, for now, uh, Dahlia uh, essentially having no impact when it comes to petroleum products, refineries, pipelines. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, well, maybe not too surprisingly, I think we talked about this last time, the average price for a gallon of gasoline in Michigan is down $0.07 cents as we approach Labor Day. And that's primarily because the price of oil has given up a little bit of ground after rising for seven straight weeks. The good news is the decreases may continue here as we get into the Labor Day weekend. Well, that's interesting. Um, at this point, um we were looking at, let's see what I see this, uh, the average national price was $3.82 a gallon when this thing was printed that I'm reading. What do you have now? 
uh, we are down to about 377 a gallon, excuse me, about 378 a gallon nationally. Michigan's a little bit lower at 372. Well, that's good news. Uh, that's uh, we, On the right side to, of things for once, at least. Yeah, we, we're happy to be on the right side of things for once, indeed. So, But analysts, and you are one, say that the extreme weather conditions and a jump in summer travel could mean gas prices remain elevated well into the fall, not just around this holiday. What do you think? You know, there's a lot, obviously, that can factor into gas prices, uncertainties. Obviously, Adalia is not going to be the only hurricane. Um, I, I wish it would, and maybe it will be. But, you know, there's a lot of other disturbances out in the Atlantic right now to keep an eye on. And though we dodged a bullet with Adalia in terms of the impact to refineries, there's still the possibility that one of those other storms in the weeks ahead could make more of an impact. And, you know, though I'm optimistic that prices could decline 25 to 50 cents by the end of the year, there's still things that are completely unpredictable. OPEC, you know, their production cuts, they've been extending them. The U.S. economy is starting to accelerate a bit more. The price of diesel is up. Uh, and part of the reason for that is a recovery in the trucking industry that's taking hold. So there's a lot of uncertainties, but, you know, typically fall is the time of year that we see a fall in demand. We're also going to be switching back to cheaper winter gasoline. That happens on September 16th. With it, Metro Detroit and much of Michigan is going to get a nice break in prices so long as there's not something that, you know, is perfectly timed to September 16th. If there's a hurricane that hits refineries on September 16th, well, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. But naturally, prices fall in the fall. Yeah, and we we go through always uh, the uh, the, generally they say summer demand for oil tends to wane in September, but so does supply because this is the time coming up when refineries shift from the summer fuels to the oxygenated winter fuels. Is that going to be a big deal again this year? Well, when we transition from summer to winter, there's actually no real hard and fast deadline. And so usually that allows stations to sell through whatever summer gasoline they have at their own pace. Now, there is a deadline when we make the transition from winter back to summer in the spring. And that's usually why we see a big surge, because that deadline, you know, it has to be timed perfectly every year. There's a lot of logistics in place. But the opposite is true for fall. So when we go back to those cheaper blends, there's more butane than winter gasoline. Butane's real cheap right now, probably about 30% of the price of a, of a gallon of conventional gasoline. And so when refiners start to stick more butane in that gallon of gasoline, it's going to reduce the price. So we have a lot to look forward to in falling prices. And like I said, you know, I would absolutely take a pretty strong bet with you that prices are going to be lower, you know, Halloween and then into Thanksgiving than they are now. Uh, but there's always the uncertainties of, of, you know, things like OPEC. Sure. And uh, Patrick DeHaan with us, head of petroleum analysis at GasBuddy. Uh, you get people like the analysts at Citigroup involved, and they warn that this hurricane season could seriously impact power supplies overall. If we have two Category 3 or higher hurricanes, we've had the one. Uh, but if we have another one landing on U.S. shores, they could massively disrupt supplies for not weeks, but for months. They take a, a decidedly more negative kind of view on this thing. Citigroup analysts writing that uh, last week. In 2005, for example, gas prices surged by 46% between Memorial Day and Labor Day because of the landfall of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, that, again, coming to us from the worry group of Citigroup. Yeah, you know, and they, they do have some observations there. Uh, inventories are, are still not healthy. In fact, today's information from the government, the Energy Information Administration, highlighting that in the last week, U.S. crude oil inventories fell by over 10 million barrels. That's a very sizable drop. And overall, inventories of distillates, which include diesel and heating oil and gasoline and jet fuel, remain relatively tight. And so to their point, if there is a major hurricane that takes out a major refinery in the Gulf Coast for a period of a week or more, that's really going to put us more on edge with inventories that are already low. So, you know, there is some validity there to their argument. But, you know, are we going to see that perfect storm? That's the biggest question. Well, here's hoping we don't see that perfect storm. And we appreciate all the work you put through year-round and I uh, want to thank you again. Patrick DeHaan, head of uh, petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Paul. Uh-huh. Always good to check in with the experts, and we have them here on WJR. Still to come, 
you saw the story about a trade worker shortage. Well, we know some people and have worked with some people uh, that have worked for a long time to try to turn that around. The people from the National Electrical Contractors Association, they have an incredible training facility. And we're going to speak with Jennifer Mefford, the Director of Business and Workplace Development for NECA. Coming up here on this edition a Focus on WJR. Well, all right, part two. And happy to have you here, noon to two, to join us live. Or uh, if you can't find yourself uh, in front of a radio from noon till two, you can download the podcast at thegreatvoice.com. Hear the whole show. You can, you can hear individual interviews if you want to hear them again or hear them because you didn't hear them and it's somebody you know or a topic you care greatly about. You can also, at least from what I've seen on the top of the list of the podcast, you can get the whole show, the whole noon to two show, which because they take certain things out, goes by very quickly. That's at thegreatvoice.com. That's the podcast. And we're glad we're uh, together here. I wish you a very pleasant good afternoon on your way to making each and every day count each day is a gift. You know, there's a, a, a number of issues out here that uh, I want to cover. This, uh, first of all, if it's your birthday, happy birthday to you. You uh, celebrated with a young man we watched grow up, Bogdan Olar, uh, a son of Nellie and Ben. Nellie and Ben's boy, Ogden, Bogdan Olar, uh, celebrating his uh, birthday today, and uh, we wish him a happy birthday. He has usually played in our golf tournament, but I don't think he's going to be able to uh, this year. 20th annual Paul W. Smith uh, golf tournament, benefiting children's charities, coming up the 18th of September. If you have been a sponsor, please contact us and rejoin us. We need all the help we can get. You can go to paulwsmithgolf.com, paulwsmithgolf.com, get all the information. Um, You know, today... Tonight, a rare super blue moon, the biggest moon of the year. It's the second moon, full moon of the year, I think is how they put it. It's like 17,000 miles closer to Earth. And you also should be able to see that little dot there that we call Saturn. And if you have a telescope, you could see the ring around Saturn, I'm told. So don't miss it. It's tonight and uh, and maybe tomorrow night, too. The rare super blue moon should be worth uh, taking uh, a look at. You know, I uh, and it's good if you're still uh, uh, available to talk. It's yes, uh, always good to be around you. You're doing a tremendous job as our new program director. And, and we didn't lose Mike. Mike is still around and overseeing now uh, six if I'm counting right, six radio right. stations. Yes. And so Mike Wheeler has moved into that position. You've moved into the program director's position, and it's all good. There's a lot of good things going on, uh, including with the podcast's availability on thegreatvoice.com and any number of other things. We've got uh, the Women Who Lead, which will now be a luncheon, which might be easier for some folks uh, to make it, and uh, and lots of other good things that are going on, Annie. Absolutely, we do. We don't have a date yet for Women Who Lead, but we are working on it, Paul. So All right. we'll keep you posted. Do we know yet where it's going to be? Not yet? Not yet. I'll let you make the announcement when the announcement comes. Yeah, we obviously. don't have anything quite yet. Okay. We'll look forward to that um, for Women Who Lead and, and so many other things coming up. We're going to be up at the uh, Frankenmuth Auto Show at Annie and Willie's Porch. We're doing that again. Can you believe uh, how big that is? I How can't many believe. cars oh, are it's shown huge. there? It's beautiful. Anybody who loves what we do here right. with the Dream Cruise right. will absolutely love what they do there in Frankenmuth. And that's coming up. Is that next that's weekend? Next week, yeah. Next weekend. Not this coming weekend, but the next weekend. And we'll broadcast uh, with a special broadcast from 11 a.m. Until 2 p.m.? That's right, yes. We'll be right 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Uh, on Annie and Willie's porch in the... Boy, it was loud when we did it from 6 to 9. It's really going to be loud uh, because it's going to be way underway. It's so good because so many of these 
things that we broadcast from over the years, you know, we're there before anybody. It's dark and there's nothing going on. Well, now we're going to be there with a number of uh, broadcasts uh, in smack dab in the middle of everything going on. All right, uh, quickly, uh, Ann knows how much I always cared about the expression, don't veer for deer. Yes, I do. And I try I think to think about that, though. It's hard to do. Well, it's very hard to do, which is why I like the easy slogan, because those tend to plant in our brains, and when an emergency happens, we, we can automatically call upon that information, and I think don't veer for deer has saved a lot of lives. I think so, too. Because it's it's no one wants to hit a deer, but it's way better than hitting a tree or another car coming and having a head-on collision. So don't veer for deer. Then the second one that came around was don't drown, go around. And unfortunately, with oh. the flooding that we've got, don't you love that one? Yeah, I like that one a lot. Don't drown, go around. Don't go through that water. Nothing so important that you have to make it that you would gamble with yours and your family's lives let alone your vehicle don't drown go around and then another one came out when thunder roars go indoors that's, that's pretty a good, good one too that's a when great thunder one. roars what do i do what do i do go indoors stop all activities seek shelter in a substantial building or hard-topped vehicle you're still safer in your vehicle than being out in the storm and they even say, wait 30 minutes after the storm to resume activities. That's a first. I hadn't heard that one before. No, so I haven't heard that one either. When thunder roars, go indoors, stop all activities, and wait 30 minutes after the storm to resume activities. Now another one. I just picked up another one. I should keep a file on this. Hide from the wind, run from the water. Hmm. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's interesting, too. Hide from the wind, I guess, so none of the flying debris gets you. But if it's water, get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Hide from the wind, run from the water. The uh, Governor DeSantis had a big press conference, lasted a long time. Um, the most important thing he said was, at this point, at least, no confirmed fatalities. So, obviously, certainly, that is good news. And we hope it stays that way. But I guess it's still early now that uh, Idalia is now a Category 1 hurricane. Or is it back down to being a tropical storm? I think it's still a Category 1. But when it was coming uh, ashore, we kept hearing it would be a three. It actually got up to a four, which no one had predicted. And then uh, it, it went down to a three as it hit land, and then it started getting weaker after it got uh, over the Gulf of Mexico hot water, which only builds um, these storms. So I think we're okay. I think we've done... A-OK so far. Wouldn't it be hard to live in Florida, Paul, and constantly have to deal with this around the clock, year in and year out? Well, there is a season. There is a season for hurricanes. Not that there couldn't be a hurricane any other time. I understand what you're saying. But there is a hurricane season, and we're in it right now, starting it. So that's tough. And a lot of people leave. A lot of Michiganders, Michiganians that that are snowbirds or whatever they are not there yet or they leave uh, for safety's sake then of course there are strong invincible people <laughs> like <laughs> my mother-in-law uh-huh. Erlene Kettle yes you know the the good news is she survived earlier hurricanes the bad news is because of that she <laughs> thinks she's invincible so we can't really get her to leave and again she was right she's fine she's okay god bless her okay But uh, we're going to get her up here uh, in not too many weeks because uh, she's going to go with us on our next WJR Travel Club uh, trip with, I think, about 80 listeners to Paris and then Bordeaux region on uh, the riverboat cruise, which uh, is going to be spectacular. Mm, That sounds nice. It's going to be a a good one. And uh, that's the Uniworld riverboat cruise, and they are the best, and we do it through Cruise and Tour. 
who happened to set these things up and do it better than anyone I've ever experienced in all my years doing these kinds of uh, trips over the many years. All right, lots to talk about and tickets to give away, too. A chance for you to see Joan Jett and the Blackhearts coming up Friday at Arts, Beats, and Eats. We'll have tickets to give away between now and the top of the hour. We're glad we're together here in Focus with Paul W. Jr. You know, you see a story uh, in the news and you go, wait a minute, uh, I know a thing or two about this story. And I, uh, more importantly, I know some people who were doing something about it. This was uh, yesterday's uh, Detroit News um, front page. Infrastructure demands booming, training to fill the skilled trades gap. And I thought, wait a minute. I know just the people to talk about this. I immediately thought of Tom Middlebrun, my friend Tom Middlebrun, from NECA, the National Electrical Contractors Association, which led me then to think about Jennifer Mefford, who is Director of Business and Workforce Development for NECA. She focuses on workforce attraction and business development for the National Electrical Contractors Association and a variety of construction partners across the region. So if Michigan has a trade worker shortage, these are people who are trying to do something about it and have been for some time. Jennifer Mefford, welcome in to Focus. Hey, Paul W., it's so great to be with you. Great to be with you. My gosh, it's been too long. It's been too long. It's great to be with you, and I've been with you off the radio along with Tom and his team, of which you're a very important part of to see the kind of incredible training facility you have to address this very problem. Absolutely. So I feel like, you know, in the article that came out yesterday, you know, what I see when I read that is really the bright spot. And, yes, we have a tremendous construction boom happening in Michigan, and that's a good thing. We're really starting to see developments happening, uh, large-scale projects, Some of the largest construction projects in the country, uh, the bridge project and others are happening here. So, yes, we definitely need talent. The construction industry as a whole, you know, saw a dip, right, in recruiting new people during that recession. Um, The years like those early 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. So that's kind of what I look at in terms of a labor shortage. You know, our labor picture across the board really mirrors the rest of Michigan in that workers are hard to find, not only just for the skilled trade side of our industry, but for the positions that are within our construction firms also. Office, HR, marketing, web and IT. So we're kind of feeling a lot of the things broadly that all other industries are feeling too. Well, and I think, and I hope that our relationship, our our. We have a relationship with NECA, and uh, we, we cherish it. We do a lot of things with you to promote you and the good work that you do. I hope that has helped because there's been this, pr- there's been this problem, I'll get right to it, where some people felt if they didn't go to college, they failed. That's just not true. We understand that now more than ever. And you're not settling for a trade. That's not a consolation prize that is for many a very well thought out choice that can lead to a spectacular life when i started hearing some of the figures that some of those uh, apprentices um uh, were walking out after their training to start to make right off the uh, the 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 apprenticeship tra- training it's spectacular money yeah, all all great points, and and I think that you know in this last seven eight years, you know there's been an entire industry push, and certainly WJR has supported that extensively with us, and and the state of Michigan, and really kind of changing the conversation around uh, post high school, right? What happens from a college for all to really a post secondary training and career connect in this conversation, and it's so important to think about things that way. College is not necessarily uh, a bad thing if it's connected to an in-demand career, and it's worth the debt that you'll incur while you're in college. On the other end, you've got to see a way out of that. But there's a lot of other ways that you can receive training very specifically to a job market. Apprenticeships are one of those great pathways where you aren't incurring debt 
you're earning while you're learning. Um, but there are all kinds of certifications and specialty credentials that I'm, for one, very happy that we've been able to elevate into this conversation around what does workforce training need to look like after high school. And we look at a lot of people. We, we tend to talk about the people who we do business with, that we partner with, which is you, Jennifer Meckford and Tom Middlebrun and the whole NECA group, National Electrical Contractors Association. There are other people out there, the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Millwrights, the Operating Engineers Local 324. Lots of them mentioned in that Detroit News story yesterday, along with mm-hmm. this, the, the, the explanation that we have a trade worker shortage, um, yeah. And these are these are some of the programs that you've been doing for a long time trying to fix that. But but remember this, there's like eleven billion dollars in federal funds coming to Michigan through 2026. We need to fix the doggone roads. Uh, we need to upgrade the water systems, the drainage systems, the Internet access. There's a whole bunch of things that skilled trade workers will be needed to do and since the state is saying we have a shortage, what a great opportunity for somebody who's been thinking about uh, getting involved in the trades, and maybe this will be the push to get them there. Absolutely. It is a terrific time. There's no question about it. We have historical levels of spending happening in construction. This is a great time to start a career and to have an entire lifelong career in the trades. So all of the trades that you mentioned, the operating engineers, the carpenters, the laborers, and electrical, everyone is looking for talented people and, frankly, doing a great job getting uh, out there to um, get that word out. Well, Jennifer, as director, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh, no. No worries. I was just going to say, as the director of business and workforce development for NECA, National Electrical Contractors Association, What's the next step for somebody listening or wants to tell their child or grandchild or niece or nephew about this? How do they get in touch with NECA? Right. Specifically for NECA, smcnica.org. S-M-C-N-E-C-A Okay. smcnica.org. Get more information. Be on your way to what I think could be a spectacular career. I know they pay well. Thank you, Jennifer. They sure do. Thanks, yeah. Paul. Thank you very much. I mean, coming right out of training and starting at six figures, that's that's not a pipe dream. That's a real strong possibility. You know, so college isn't for everyone. Trades are for a lot of people. And the sooner you know that, if that's for you, the better you embrace it, and you're on your way. Good luck to you. Stay with us in focus on WJR. Hey, you know what else is now? Uh, be the ninth caller at 1-800-859-0957, 1-800-859-0WJR to win a pair of VIP tickets to see Joan Jett and the Black Arts in concert at Arts, Beats, and Eats coming up this Friday, September 1st. For a bonus chance to win, text keyword ROCK to 800-859-0957, official rules at WJR.com. 760 WJR welcomes Soaring Eagles Arts, Beats, and Eats presented by Flagstar Bank this coming weekend, Labor Day weekend, downtown Royal Oak. Enjoy a juried fine art fair, tasty food, 200 bands on nine stages, and a lot of fun for the whole family. Details at artsbeats.com. Arts, beats, oh no, it should be artsbeatseats.com. Artsbeatseats.com. Com. That's why I got confused the other day, wondering if there was an and, Arts Beats and Eats, because on the website it's Arts Beats Eats without the and, dot com. Okay, I hope that didn't confuse you. Um, you see the headline, back in the office, fine, but not nine to five. Pandemic changed expectations about what flexibility truly means. Well, you know, if you've been in a business which for two years you didn't come into work and yet work got done, then you started saying, well, gee, uh, why do I have to make that drive, find a parking space, or or whatever it might be that makes it more difficult to go into the office if you can get the work done out of the office? But there are companies that are saying, no, no, you're going back to the office. About 43% of North American workers who went back to the office 
clocked in for fewer than six hours a day during the first half of this year. Let's uh, check in with a professor who follows these sorts of things, following uh, the study of remote work from the Georgia Institute of Technology, Professor Patricia Mokhtarian. Professor, I'm Paul W. Smith. Welcome to Focus. Thank you very much. My pleasure. When, so when did it become okay to say, all right, you want me back in the office, that's fine, but I'm not sitting there from 9 to 5? How do you, how do you get away with that? Well, of course, the pandemic broke everything, and people realized that, yes, they could work effectively from home, and companies realized it, too. But over time, uh, perhaps employers sooner than employees in many cases realized that it also comes at a cost. That is, you know, you lose the in-office tacit exchange of knowledge, as the scholars put it, uh, you know, the water cooler conversation, the mentoring of new employees, the kind of company culture um, exchange, and, and so forth. So, you know, the thing is, teleworking has its pros and it has its cons, and there's probably some optimal balance uh, that means you're not there all day every day, but you're not at home all day every day either. And, of course, that's a generality for some people. It should be at home all day every day. That's what they want to do, and that's what works for them. But in general, I think we'll see a pattern all across the spectrum of degrees of being in the office or not. So at Georgia Institute of Technology, Professor, have you found a perfect balance, or does that, based on what you just said, going to be different for everybody? Right. It's hard to speak in generalities because it is specific to individuals. I've changed my work patterns, frankly, since the pandemic. Um, And again, I think there's just right now still a fair amount of churn, if you will, a a fair amount of of people kind of circling around trying to find that right balance. If they don't like what their employer is doing, then over time they'll find a new employer. And if the employer is not happy with the way things look, then they'll change the rules. And, And so I think we're still seeing this self-sorting, if you will, of employees into organizations that are consistent with what the employee wants to do or reconciliation that maybe it'll be less than they want but still more than it was before. And similarly, employers are sometimes having to coach or even let go employees who aren't handling it well um, and are revising their policies uh, as well as time goes on to kind of, again, try to find that happy medium. I couldn't have been the only one. And I'm not saying this to try to kiss up to my bosses, but the reality <laughs> is during the uh, the two years straight where we had to work from home, uh, at least in my business, and that meant that my desk was with me all the time. It wasn't like I went in early in the morning and left and came back home and that was that. My desk, meaning my work, was with me all the time, and I felt at least during that time I worked more than when I did going into the office, in my case, the radio station. Yeah, that's certainly the case for a lot of people, and and, um, in some cases, too much, right? It becomes hard to draw the boundaries when you're working from home and doing, you know, domestic work as well as work work, and so where do you stop? And, you know, people who have workaholic tendencies might find it even more difficult. It's kind of like the addiction, right? If you're an alcoholic, you don't go into a bar, and if you're a workaholic, you know, making it easy to do it 24-7 can be dangerous. So uh, again, I think uh, people find what works best for them. And in some cases, those additional you need to be in the office boundaries can be beneficial. Um, And in other cases, again, it works just fine with people um, working from home as their full-time modus operandi, so to speak. Professor Mokhtarian, do you agree or disagree with the line from this story that brought us to brought you to our attention. Um, Do you believe the era of sitting at your desk from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. is over? You know, academics don't like to speak in absolutes. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. My old professors used to like to speak in absolutes, especially when they were checking my exam and said, no, that's not right. 
What? Well, there you've got a point there. Sometimes answers are wrong or right. I'm a math major, so one of the things I love about oh, math Oh, don't even is... get me started on math, because with <laughs> math, they would say, well, that's the right answer, but you didn't do the right work to get that answer. Exactly. Well, what does that mean? If you anyway. got it for the wrong reason, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, that never, believe me, that kind of turned me off on math. I'm just saying. Oh, but anyway, so it, it is, it, you can't just say with a blanket statement, the era of sitting at your desk from nine to five is over. Exactly. But neither can you say, you know, it's a free for all and everybody's now doing, you know, something totally different. Again, the truth is really somewhere in between. There's a nuance here. And so even, you know, you see the headlines that so and such and such companies demanding that everybody come back to the office. And then you read the fine print and it's like, well, two days a week or, you know, three days a week. <laughs> right. I'm like, well, that's still way different than what it was before the pandemic. So something's still quite different. She and knows what so, she's talking about. This is what she studies, Professor yep. Patricia Mokhtarian at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Thank you so much for your help. Thank you. My pleasure. We continue in focus on WJR. Okay, all right. Uh, Keith Newell uh, weighs in. He heard me talking to the professor, and I talked about my beef with math, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, then discovering the calculator didn't help me want to learn any more math. But anyway... He says, Paul, English is important. Math is importanter. <laughs> Thank you, Keith, for that. This is a great story to close out today's visit, which, by the way, noon to 2, Monday through Friday, but you can get us at thegreatvoice.com. You can get our individual interviews plus the whole show in a podcast form, and I hope you will do that. And don't miss, by the way, the rare super blue moon tonight, the biggest moon of the year. It'll be 17,000 miles closer to Earth. You can reach out and touch it almost. You'll see Saturn, too, which is many, many miles closer to Earth. That's the the rare super blue moon tonight and maybe a part of tomorrow, too. Anyway, this is a great thing. Uh, Comcast is announcing they're becoming the first Internet provider to offer a product designed to maintain connectivity when a storm hits, trees are down or a customer experiences a local outage. They are launching storm-ready Wi-Fi. That means Xfinity's storm-ready Wi-Fi equipped with cellular backup, enabling customers to work and stream without interruption, and the device doubles as a Wi-Fi extender, delivers strong Wi-Fi signal to hard-to-reach corners of the home. This is almost too good to be true, but it is true because the Vice President Public Relations of Comcast Cable, Heartland Region, Michelle Gilbert is who's telling me about it, and I trust and believe her completely. Good afternoon, Michelle. Good afternoon, Paul W. This is such good news. The I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my own personal story, though. Did I blow okay. it by, I bought one of your extenders already. Did I blow it by, I just got it delivered. I uh, It no, sounds to me well, like I need this one. Uh, well, you definitely should get the storm-ready Wi-Fi. Yeah, um, I'll do it. I'll get it. Tell All you right. what we'll do is we'll take a look at what extender you already have. Uh, yeah. This storm-ready Wi-Fi should provide enough uh, coverage across the entire home. So if you no longer need the other one, we'll we'll figure out what we do with it. Or All right. It, it, you, I, I, I don't want to put you. I don't want to put you on the spot. It's just <laughs> that this is a story of my life. It's just my luck yeah. that I just bought one of your extenders. I mean, just literally, and now this one's out. But I, I have no problem with getting the new one. Uh, this is electronic equipment. It changes all the time. Listen, I'm an Apple phone user. I've already been beaten up, chewed up, and spit out by Apple. Every time they come out with a new phone and a new charging system and a new this and a new that, you got to buy all the stuff. Let's forget about that. Let's just talk about what can storm-ready Wi-Fi offer people. Go through some of the features so we don't run out of time. Yeah, absolutely. And you did a great job talking about the features. Um, and really, the ability for it to be that Wi-Fi extender, I kind of call it the icing on the cake. But really, what this is intended to be is, a generator for your internet service. If you think about the fact that a lot of us have generators so that when we lose power, we can 
keep the coffee machine connected as my husband wants to do. Um, you know, some people have whole house generators, but this keeps your internet connected because it's relying on cellular data. So if you have an internet or a power outage that impacts your internet or even an internet outage, all of the devices that are connected to your Xfinity gateway will seamlessly now connect to the storm-ready Wi-Fi. There are a couple different scenarios. So let's talk about storms, like last week's storms here across most of Michigan. If you had a power outage that was less than four hours, you would have been connected the entire time through storm-ready Wi-Fi. If you were one of the unlucky ones and you lost power for more than that, it would have given you four hours to do what you need to do and find the next place that you're going to be relying on internet. And I think many of us have been through that before. But just as importantly, sometimes there are internet outages when there's not a power outage and it may be that there was a fiber cut in your neighborhood or uh, um, other work was happening that impacted your service. If you still have power, there is no four hour time limit. You can rely on the Xfinity Storm Ready Wi-Fi for as long as your internet is out. And let's hope that it's not a long time. But, uh, you know, sometimes things happen that are beyond our control. And, and our amazing network team works very hard to make sure we get our customers up and running as quickly as possible. This is it's, It sounds too good to be true, but it sounds fabulous. Storm Ready Wi-Fi. I promise you it's true. <laughs> I, I, I said at the beginning. If it's Michelle Gilbert, I believe her, because we've known each other for years, and we've talked about a variety of issues having to do with, well, through all the name changes from Comcast to Xfinity to whatever, you know. Is there a is there a charge for this that's like a, is it a monthly charge that goes into your, into your regular Xfinity bill? Well, how about I answer that with a yes and no. Uh, there is a one-time charge for the device. $252, but you can pay it off over 36 months for only $7 a month. Once you own the device, there is no extra monthly cost for the service. Oh, that is the spectacular device. news. Yes. Well, and, and it's, it costs a lot more than my little extender device, but this is this does so much more than that extender. 252 you can pay it off over months. God bless you and uh, all the good folks that have come up with this idea at uh, Xfinity.com. People can get more information. And we'll look forward to our next conversation, Michelle. Yes, we will. Thanks so much, Paul W. Michelle Gilbert, Vice President, Public Relations, Comcast Cable, Heartland Region. See you tomorrow. Regards, Paul W. Smith.